Well, we are getting back into our sermon series that we started a while back. This is week four. Last week, we took some time off for Teen Challenge. That was a fantastic weekend. Uh, Boy, the guys did a great job. Fantastic testimonies. How about that dude that sang the country song, The Three Wooden Crosses, if you were here for that? I'm like, that was ridiculously good. That guy should get a recording contract or something. I mean, that was that was right there. Um, fantastic stuff. But uh, we're going to jump back into our series called Highways, um, Catching God's Vision. So um, here's our graph, graphic, pretty awesome stuff. Highways, Catching God's Vision. It's based on Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. And Isaiah 55 6 through 9 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So here, God is saying to the people, If you've really messed things up, I will offer you forgiveness. And now, if that's something that we're used to, Christianity is all about forgiveness. However, human nature is not about forgiveness. If you hurt me, I don't like you. You know, human nature is about vengeance. It's about returning a little bit worse for what happened to me. And so here God is saying, your ways may be ways of vengeance. My ways are ways of forgiveness. God's ways are higher than our ways. And the last verse, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9. Amen. So God's ways are higher than our ways. I think there's two pieces to that. First, God's ways can be hard to understand sometimes. Have you ever read anything in the scriptures and you're like, what? We're going to get to some of those today. So I believe we're going to read maybe the hardest verse to understand in the New Testament, but definitely top three today. That's going to be fun. All right. God's ways can be hard to understand. And then second, God's ways are much, much better than our ways. Amen? Hard to understand, but better. And so that's why we walk by faith. We trust the Lord even when we don't understand because God's ways can be hard to understand, but God's ways are better. So this is Memorial Day weekend. Don't take this country and your opportunities for granted. We honor those who fought and died by living well and making the most of your freedom. That's how you honor people who have sacrificed, is by living well. That's what we want to do. Now, part of living well is living for a purpose, living a life of purpose. And here's how you can live a life of purpose. Find a cause that's worth dying for, And then live for that. Find a cause worth dying for and live for that. If you don't have a cause worth dying for, 
I've got one for you. <laughs> All right. I've got the kingdom of God. That is a cause worth dying for. That is a cause that the son of God, Jesus himself, the alpha and the omega felt was worth dying for. And he came and died on the cross to give us the opportunity to participate in that. But we aren't to die on the cross too. We are to live. And so this is a cause worth dying for that we live for. And that is where we can grab hold of a purposeful life. This week, we're going to talk about giving your life to Christ. It's a paradox that if we give up our lives, we receive our lives. So let's pray. Let's believe God to be able to get somewhere good this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that uh, you don't leave us here to just wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Help us to see what you've got for us today. Lord, each one of us is going through something different. We're fighting different parts of the battle. uh, And so we need a different touch from you. And so I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with exactly what we need, Lord, and, and that we would all be able to take a step forward today in understanding you and serving you and loving you and walking by faith just a little bit better. So bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The paradox of giving your life for Christ. Have you heard that if you are going to follow Jesus, you must give your life to Christ? Give up your life. Lay it before the Lord. This is in the Bible, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books, first four books of the New Testament that describe the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. In there, it's in six times. So it's in every Gospel. And in half of them twice. So this is an important core teaching. To give your life to Christ. And uh, it can be a little bit difficult to understand. I think a lot of people don't really know what to do with this. Because we want, we want our lives, right? <laughs> I want my life. Life is good. If I give it up, what happens? I think a lot of people who are in rebellion against God, they know God wants them to do a particular thing or to live a particular way, and they don't want to, so they run from God. They don't lay their lives down before Christ. They run from God. So this is a big piece of rebellion against God. But faith, again, is when you trust God's ways, even though you don't understand. So we want to lay our lives down before Christ, even if we don't fully get it. But then we want to try to understand it over time. We want to start to catch on to God's ways, catch God's vision. We don't want to walk in the darkness. We want to walk in the light. So how do we catch God's vision with verses like Mark 8, 34 through 36. Let's take a look here. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So who is Jesus talking to? Everybody. The crowds. So he's just yelling. Hey, everybody, come over here. I got something important to tell you. In the way that they did that 2,000 years ago. And then crowds came. 
And here's what he had to say. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So he's saying, if you want to keep your life, you've got to give it up. But if you give it up, then you'll get it. This is a paradox. It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of backwards. Jesus is saying, and again, this is six times in the Gospels, six times. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. So the thing that you so desire, when you try to create it yourself, it falls apart. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Now, there's two important meanings to this verse. So I'll talk about the first one now and the second one at the end. Of course, we don't want to win at this life and lose everlasting life. Amen? We don't want to lose that. But this is even deeper than that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's go back to this um, paradox. Six times. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, you'll save it. Six times. This is a core teaching. If we miss this, if we don't understand what this means, if we don't put this into practice, it will distort our relationship with God and it will distort our understanding of God. One of the biggest problems we have in the body of Christ is an inverted relationship with God. That's an upside down relationship with God. How many people want God's help with your life? You want God's help? Amen. So here's the problem that can come from that. I want to do this. I want to have my life be this way. God, help me. God, do this for me. Who's serving who in that relationship? That's God serving me. That's me wanting something and then trying to get God to help me. That's upside down. What it is, what it should be is, God, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? I'm in. I will help you. I'm, a, I'm, I'm going to serve you. And so we find out God's will and do that. We don't have our will and try to get God on board with us. That's an inverted relationship. And so if I don't lay my life down before Christ, then I am living my life, my dreams, my ideas, my hopes, and I'm trying to get God on board with me. You see the problem with that? God doesn't have to care about my will. A lot of times what I want is actually contrary to what God wants. And so it creates a tension between us and God I may have a relationship with God, but it's an inverted relationship in that sense. I want God to serve me. Then people get disappointed with God. They get mad at God. They're unhappy because the things they want aren't happening, and they prayed and prayed, but they're still just trying to get God on board with them as their servant rather than becoming a servant of God and letting it all go. That's why when we talked about prayer in this series, 
I said, it's so important not to start your prayer life with give me this prayers. God, I need this. I want this. That's a bad place to start. Let's look at the Lord's prayer. Jesus starts the Lord's prayer with our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? It's a worship beginning to the prayer. Just teaching people. When you start your relationship with God, start it through worship. Just honoring, adoring, loving God. That's how we start our relationship with God. Not with give me, give me, give me. (laughs) But, oh God, you are so awesome and wonderful. And just praising God. That's where we start. What was the second thing in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom, thy will, your will be done, not my will be done. It's not, I want this, I want my will done, help me with my will. It's a submission, second step in the Lord's prayer. First, worship. Second, submission to God's plan. Your will be done, not my will be done. So if I want God to just help me with my life, then it's going to create a confusion with how we interact with God because God isn't here. How do I say this the right way? God's plan is the plan that matters. We want to get on board with God's plan, not try to get God on board with our plan. And so this is very, very important to lay our lives before Christ. Does losing your life for Christ seem like a difficult proposition? Um, Yes, it does. (laughs) I know you're in church and you want to say, no, pastor, I'm in, I'm down, you know, I'm giving it all away. Okay. It's hard, isn't it? When you're by yourself trying to decide, am I going to give up all my hopes and dreams to serve the Lord? That's a tough one. I mean, let's just be real about that. It's a hard one. And guess what? It's about to get harder. Because we're going to go to Luke chapter 14. This is what I was referring to earlier as probably, if not the hardest, maybe in the top three for sure. Scriptures in the New Testament. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. So who is Jesus talking to? Large crowds. Whoever happened to be following him. This isn't for the religious elite. This isn't for the top level disciples. This is for the large crowd. The next verse, if it wasn't in the Bible, I would say is heretical, and we would just throw it away. However, it's in the Bible, and so we walk by faith, not by sight. Instead of rejecting it, we try to understand it, right? Because God's ways are hard for us to understand. They're higher than our ways, but they're also better, but we want to understand so that we don't get all goofy. Sometimes when you don't understand, you do goofy religious things. We want to avoid that. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, 
he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you don't hate your parents and your children and yourself, you're out. What in the world is that? Enjoying the tension? Yeah. (laughs) Let's read the rest of this passage so that we can get the full flavor. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So is Jesus here really doing everything he possibly can to draw the crowd? No. He's like, if you want in, guess what? This is going to be hard. He's, He's almost like making it difficult for people to follow him. If anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. So he's saying, a lot of you think you want to follow me, but guess what? It's going to be harder than you think, and you're going to start, and you're not going to be able to see it through. So count the costs. He continues, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Hate everybody, give up everything that you have. What is this? I mean, are we going to start naming churches like this? You know, hate everyone, assembly of God. Give up everything you have, church. You know, I mean, it's, this isn't exactly uh, seeker-friendly. Put verse 26 up there again, because this is the hard one. This is the one I've had. I know specific people who have rejected God because of this verse. It's all full of contradictions. This is ridiculous. It's the opposite of what's being said in other places. This isn't love God, love your neighbor, love your brother, love your enemy. This is hate your family. It's ridiculous. And they reject God. I know specific people. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How do we understand this? I'm going to give you my best shot. Are you ready? Here we go. Pastor Mike's best shot. This world's messed up, right? Like, even our country, I believe the United States is the greatest country in the world. It's messed up. We've got political strife. We've got uh, moral decay. We've got people hurting each other. This world is messed up. And things need to change. You go to other countries and you have, you have mass killings. You have absolute unsafe conditions. It's a disaster. This world is messed up. Would you agree with me? This world needs to change, except, of course, for my kids, because my kids are perfect. 
Except, of course, for me, because I'm good. (laughs) What Jesus is saying here is, it's easy to point the finger at everybody else and say, yeah, it needs to change. And then be biased for our own, be biased towards ourselves. He's saying, yes, this world needs to change, and you're part of it. And your kids are part of it. And your family's part of it. Understand this world's messed up. The way we see things, the way we understand, the way we take advantage of other people, it all needs to be set aside. And we need to change. And you have to reject that way of being for yourself, for your family, for the world, and grab hold of something different. I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying become jaded and cynical and bitter. He's saying, understand that this is a broken world and we are part of the brokenness. So we must reject our own failures, our own faults, our own ways of straying from God. Give it up. Hate that stuff. And grab hold of God. Rather than pointing the finger at other people. I think that's what Jesus is saying. That seem reasonable? So, what does that mean? What do we do with that? Oh, let me ask this question. What if, so Jesus is saying repent. See your brokenness. And repent. Turn away from it. Don't just blame the media. Don't just blame the government. Don't just blame the economy. Don't just blame the bad people that are distracting your children from being wonderful human beings. Let's ourselves repent. Let's be realistic and realize that our family members also need to repent. If we are not walking with God, we need to turn to the Lord, and follow Him. Let me ask you this simple question. What if everybody on the planet rejected the ways of the world, the ways of sin, the ways of selfishness, the ways of rejecting God's ways, but instead repented, turned to God, and effectively followed Christ, followed the Ten Commandments, put into practice the teachings of the New Testament? What if everybody on the planet did that? Well, world peace for starters. The end of poverty and loneliness. You see how this is kind of important. That's what would happen. Now, personally, it's also very, very important. If I lay my life before Christ, it's described like a seed. There's a difference between an acorn and an oak tree. Acorns are neat. But look at the potential of an acorn. The potential of an acorn is an oak tree. But it has to fall to the ground and die to become an oak tree. I am created by God to be someone. You 
have been created by God to be someone. If instead of becoming that person, you're just a self-centered you know, person who's living in their own little world, that's just tragic. If I'm the center of my world, I'm living in a very, very, very small world. However, if I lay myself down and I get to be part of the kingdom of God, then I'm in a very, very large world. And my life goes from acorn to oak tree. Very significant. A self-centered life is a small, small life. Now, here's the problem. Everybody on the planet isn't going to lay their lives before Christ. So there will be misery and pain. So there will be sin and destruction. There will be war. There will be hurt. There will be death. Now, the good news is, anyone who's willing to lay their lives before Christ in this world, in the midst of the pain and suffering of this world, the injustice and sin of this world, Anyone who's willing to lay their lives before Christ here, Jesus himself goes ahead to prepare a place for them in heaven so that we can actually grab hold of the fullness of it in eternal life. We can live the blessings of world peace and all of those things in heaven. Because it's not going to happen here. Because people are going to reject the Lord. And the destruction that comes will affect even those who have set their lives before Christ. So, are you in? Have you counted the cost? You can have a small, self-centered life and go to hell. Or, you can be part of the glorious kingdom of God here in this life and live everlasting life in the perfection of God's plan forever. Would you actually hold on to your selfishness to reject that? I think it's an easy one. I think it's easy. Count the cost. Up front, it may be difficult, but as time goes on, man, if we lay our lives before Christ, we get to be part of something bigger. And we get to see it come to pass in eternity. Now, can you take this too literally? This laying your life before God too literally? I think I did, quite honestly. When I became a Christian, I just walked away. I was living a nice life. I was in a private school, a private college. You know, I was on the fast track, going the right direction. I got saved and thought, well, this is all ridiculous. This is all meaningless. This is, this is accomplishing nothing. So I just quit. I mean, I quit college. I just walked away. Like, what difference does any of this make? This is a created reality. It's, a, it's all going to burn anyway. Who cares? I've been working really hard for something that doesn't even matter. So I quit. But the problem is, when you quit, where, what are you going to? I didn't go to something. I just went to nothing. God's plan isn't for us to live a a life of lack and poverty and disengagement from reality so that we can just focus on him. We still are to live a life 
It's how you walk through that life that's going to change. Still go to school. Still get a job. Still live. Enjoy things. It's all good. It's not about walking away from your life. It's about walking through it differently. And this will normally result in abundant life now and everlasting life in the future. Do you believe that? That's that. If you give up your life, you'll get it. I've seen that happen personally. I gave up my life. I made unnecessary sacrifices. And then I learned over time, some of the things I gave up were unnecessary. Because I wasn't choosing between the world and God. I was just hurting myself. What's the sense in that? Give our lives to Christ. That results in abundant life and everlasting life. Let's go back to Mark 8, 35 and 36. We read this earlier. This is part of our paradox. And I don't like the translation. I think it had to be translated this way because it was translated that way a long time ago. And this is a very, very important verse that people really, really like. Or the last, the second verse. They don't like the first one. But uh, this word, look at the word life here in Mark eight thirty five. And this word is also in Mark 8, 36. And so I want us to try to find out where is this exact same word in the next verse. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So what does that mean to you? What does life mean? It means your life, right? Like the life you're living. That if we want to save our life, we'll lose it. If we're clamoring after things, then we're not going to get what our life is supposed to be. But if we give it up, then we'll get it. Verse 36. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Where's the word life in there? It's it's the word soul. The same word translated life in verse 35 is translated soul in verse 36. And what it means is, if you give yourself to Christ, you will get yourself. Have you ever felt like you're living the wrong life? Like you missed who you were supposed to be. What Jesus is saying here is if you want to actually be who you were supposed to be, you have to give yourself up because you are not about you. Just like the church is not about the church. If Good Hope Church was about Good Hope Church, what a pathetic little thing it would be. But if Good Hope is about the living God, we get to participate in all kinds of wonderful things. What Jesus is saying is, if we want to find ourselves, we have to give ourselves up. That is powerful. That is deep. What does it look like? Oh, uh, geez. let me say one more thing. I know, I, I could talk too long. I keep staring at the clock. I have seen God give me my life. 
I've watched it happen. I walked away. And now I have something I wouldn't trade for anything. I've seen it happen. I could have been someone else. I could have not been here and gone on the mainstream. But I wouldn't have been able to find out who I am. I wouldn't have been able to live who I was supposed to be. There's sacrifices for sure. But, oh, I don't want to lose who I was supposed to be. Let me say that for you, too. Even if, let's say you're 90 years old, and you're thinking, I I completely lived the wrong life. Start today. You can get a piece of it. Start today. Live the real life you were meant to have by laying yours down and letting the living God give you what he meant for you to have. What does it look like to give your life to Jesus and to the gospel? Don't quit your job to follow Jesus just yet. Three important principles here. You put God's ways into practice even if you don't understand. And I actually mean this. I've been in the church world long enough to know that people say, oh, yep, God's awesome, and then they just don't do what it says. I know, I know it's not very Christian, but, and then they just don't do it. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It's going to fall apart. It doesn't work that way. I actually mean it. Put God's ways into practice, even if you don't understand. It doesn't mean that we won't stumble, and we all fall down but we try. Put God's ways into practice. Then, over time, God's heart becomes your heart. It can take a while, but the fruits of the Spirit begin to come naturally. I remember, I was, you know, strong, strong introvert. Huge introvert. I could be by myself, I think, for the rest of my life. But, I remember a day, a few years back, maybe 10 years ago, where I thought to myself, you know what would be awesome? If I could just sit and have a cup of coffee with somebody and hear their story. That'd be awesome. I was an introvert. I didn't hate people, but loving people is active. You have to care. It's not just a lack of hate that is, Love your neighbor. And so God put in my heart a desire to know the story of people. He did that to Trinette on the same day. Neither one of us cared. Now, we were all, I was already a pastor at this point. So I'm sorry for uh, failing in that way before that. A pastor that didn't care about the people. I cared about the Lord. I cared about, I wanted people to go to heaven. But, you know. My whole idea was, okay, you're already a Christian. Get your boots on. Let's get to work. Quit your whining. Let's go. And it, it was not very effective. But we do have a purpose and a plan, but God's heart becomes your heart after a while. And then the fullness of it is when your dreams become God's dreams. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward as we, as we close here. The fullness of it is when your dreams become God's dreams. This is where you may quit your job. 
I used to pray, God, what do you want me to do today? Lord, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? And that was fine for a while. But maybe 15 years of doing that, it started to get thin. You ever pray and all of a sudden it's just not quite working anymore? And so I changed my prayer to, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do in this church? What do you want to do in this community? What do you want to do in this state? What do you want to, what do, you want to do? And what's my role? What's my part? Do I have a part? And then God's dreams become our dreams when we start praying that way. And then instead of wanting the selfish thing and being mad at God because he won't give me the thing I want, now my dreams are God's dreams. And I think to myself, I, God wants a vibrant church in Morgan Park. Let's pray for that and believe for that. Rather than, I want a bigger house. <laughs> I wouldn't mind a bigger house. That'd be fine. But God's dreams become our dreams. And that's where we are in line with the heart of God. When we give our lives to Christ, He takes our messed up life and gives us the new life we were supposed to have. We're going to read Luke 9, 24, and 25. And I want to hammer that point again. If you've ever felt like you've missed being who you were supposed to be, this is for you. Luke 9. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You're clamoring for things. You're trying to get your... uh, You're trying to get the American dream, all that stuff. I'm going to quote Jim Carrey. I don't think I've ever quoted Jim Carrey in church before. But this is what Jim Carrey said. He said, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so that they would know that's not the answer. He won and was hollow. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? It's a much better translation in Luke. You don't want to lose who you are. And then, now I've got a whole bunch of plastic stuff but I miss my purpose. I miss who I'm supposed to be. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose who you are? What Jesus offers us is not just heaven after a miserable life. What he offers us when we give our lives to him is a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life where we get to be the person we were created to be and live in the satisfaction of that. 
But in order to get that, we have to give ourselves up and lay ourselves before the Lord. As I said earlier, everyone on the planet isn't going to get this. But let's us in this room get it. It's an easy choice. Give ourselves to the Lord and the acorn becomes an oak tree that lives forever in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Let's believe God along these lines and I'll invite people up for personal prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you as our creator that you have a good plan. That you have made us to be someone Lord, let us not miss it because we believe commercials and we run after those things and we get mad at you because we don't get the thing in the commercial. But Lord, let us give that up and grab hold of who you are, fully submitting to you so that you can fully work in our lives and make us who we're supposed to be. Lord, let us fight through the years that it takes to even see progress sometimes. Let us believe you so we lay ourselves before you, living God. And we ask you to pick us up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let your spirit fall upon us and give us new life. And Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, let your peace be in us. Let your joy be our strength. And Lord, let us know your love so that we can trust setting ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen.